Welcome to the Homeschooling Homegirls podcast. Join us as we take up space by sharing our bi-POC experiences in the homeschool unschool world. I'm your host, Tiffany Sandoval. I spent most of the last 19 years in the homeschool unschool world listening to the advice from narratives that did not include me or anyone that was not from the white or white adjacent lived experience. This podcast is about elevating the voices that for far too long have been silenced in the name of white fragility. My hope is that by sharing our stories, others can see that homeschooling and unschooling is one of many paths to raise empowered, educated people. Stories will be shared from lived experiences, not theories, and different perspectives are encouraged. So grab your coffee or your cocktail and join us as we expand our perspectives. Hi, this is Tiffany. You're listening to Homeschooling Homegirls. This is a place for parents in the homeschool community to share our lived experiences while expanding our perspectives. Joining us today is um, our guest with Ancestral Schooling. She's a historian, seventh generation Californian, and a self-directed learner since childhood. I'm so grateful for this conversation with Ancestral Schooler. As Dia de los Muertos is coming up, um, I think that to talk about the dangers we bring in and our rights to practice traditions in a culture we may have not been raised in um, is I think an important one, at least for me. Um, And so the biggest takeaway I got was the principles of planting and harvesting. Um, And she goes more into it and I invite you to join us for the first part of this episode. I reached out for a couple of different topics um, and one of them was about keeping traditions alive. And I think that's really been on my mind lately because um, with my parents' assimilation, I'm making traditions up as I go along raising all my kids. Um, And I've noticed that I have a full human adult, (laughs) this is 23, um, and I didn't do such a great job I mean, we're surviving. So I didn't really do all the things that I'm doing with my older, my younger two kids. And now that Dylan is 17, almost 18, um, we've done a lot of like the fun, like more Western ice traditions. Um, and then with Logan, like I was telling Giovanna when we started, can you hear the music blaring? Cause he's listening to like mariachi music right now or Linda Ronstadt music. Like he's very much into wanting to understand the language and wanting to understand the whys and the hows and the who's. Um, where my other two weren't necessarily um, interested. Like I would try and they'd be like, yeah, whatever. Like it would last for whatever fun event. Um, But when we started researching um, and the other thing I've radically unschooled my other two, my my last one, um, it's different. Uh, We're doing, it looks more homeschooly with a lot of unschooling flair. I think homeschoolers would say, no, you're unschooling because I don't force it. Um, but it is more structured. So um, when we started researching like Mexican Independence Day and we started researching like, I hate the word Hispanic, but Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> uh, it, 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 um, Logan took more of an interest and there's a lot of history and a lot of tradition as we're reading. And I'm trying to find information from a non-colonized perspective, which is very difficult. Mm-hmm. for me um and I have ADD so I start researching one thing and they go down a rabbit hole and then I'm out the other end somewhere else um and mm-hmm. so 
when I ask people that I know are more tied to the culture than I am, than I was raised in. One, I, I want the connection. I'm, I'm needing that connection right now. It's not even beyond one, it's needing. Um, but uh, we, before we started recording, we were talking about plant medicine and uh, just the way um, we're talking. And I was laughing um, because at the suggestion uh, or at the suggestion for a topic that you gave me, which was keeping traditions alive. And I brought up, um, I wanted to ask you exactly what traditions you think I'm keeping because I feel like I'm not. So I guess that would be, and that's when we started recording because I guess it would be a good conversation to have in public. I don't remember a lot of my childhood. And when my grandmother, Mm -hmm. uh, before she moved to El Paso, there was a lot of family traditions that were, you know, happening that I don't think I understood as a kid. It just was, everybody was eating and food and parties and people. It's not like anybody sat me down and explained what this was. To me, it was just Mm -hmm. another event. So when I see um, glimpses of things like that, because we've raised our children outside of that, um, one radically unschooling, none of our family understood it, so we stayed away. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've seen you just do that. Um, <laughs> um, so when I say traditions alive, I guess you still, like you've raised your kid both in the States and in Mexico mm-hmm. for different reasons and like, I feel like you're more tied to those traditions than I I am. Mm-hmm. So I'm always, I guess, learning or wanting to learn. Um, and then to your historian work. So she- yes. Um, well, I wanted to clarify that in the Western um, sense, um, I'm not a title historian. I don't have letters behind my name, but when I try to look into the essence of who I have always been, I know that I'm a historian because I have always, um, ever since I was a child, I remember going up to elders and asking what was there or why, or um, wanting to know stories. Even for my sister who's 10 years older than I am, I would ask stories. I would ask her to tell me things. And then, um, I realized that that's what I am because my nephew named me. Um, we were driving around um, our home, our ancestral town in Mexico one time. And I kept going around the city. I'm like, oh, and this is where this was. And this is where this was. And in Abuelita's, great Abuelita's your journal, she mentions this park and this is where she used to come. So I, I kept bringing that up for them, right? And he's like, you're like a hobbit. I guess there is a character in The Hobbit that um, goes around telling stories (laughs) about what was there before. And I didn't realize that I was doing, but I had um, my niece, my nephew, and my daughter, all of whom were born on this side of the border. And I just unconsciously started doing that because I wanted somebody else to know what was there. Right. So that's why I call myself a historian. And also because um, I like to read about history and I participate in a lot of local events having to do with history. Um, And I recently learned because my daughter is into words. So we are recently learning word meanings. Right. And she does a, a you know those big post-its you can put on the on the wall? Uh-huh. 
So she'll, um, she'll write them down and then we'll look at the definition and they will stay there for like a week. Um, this started because she likes to read, uh, write short stories and likes to have alternate words because she noticed she was repeating herself. So she decided she was going to increase her vocabulary. Anyway, long story short, um, we started talking about the word apocalypse and how and then so she started trying to use the word and she's like this feel, 2020 feels apocalyptic right <laughs> <laughs> and so then we looked into um the root of the word because i guess she's figured out that that helps you spell it because she gets frustrated when the computer corrects her and she's like Ugh. and so she's figured out that because she speaks spanish if she then knows the latin root then she can more or less use her Spanish to become a better speller in English, right? So that's the trick she's using. So anyway, long story short, we looked up the root for apocalypsis. And I don't know if you know it, but it's, it's, the, it's a Greek word and it means unveiling. This is the time of the unveiling. So we started naming this as a time of the unveiling and it started, everything started making sense to us. Like everything is coming undone, everything is coming uncovered out in the open is the time on the unveiling. And a lot of the historic work I do, I'm not as part of why I'm not giving you my full name, is because I'm a volunteer at um, a local museum and I have taken the training to be a docent at the local museum. And when I pass the test, I repeated exactly what they wanted me to say which was the white history and but when I'm alone in the rooms and there's nobody there except the people that come for the tour and myself then I unveil the real history and I had to do that just so that I would be allowed into the rooms so that's how I participate in the unveiling and so hopefully one day I will be able to just do it in the open. And I move things along institutionally a little bit every year or every six months and so forth until I can take the curtain out, right? But if I do it right away, I'm going to get kicked out. And the, the ancestral power from the, the dominant culture power structure is still there. And so... I have to be careful. And then as I went along and started doing my own unveiling of the local history, that's when I figured out, okay, I am seventh generation Californian. My daughter is eighth, but I never, I grew up in what's known as the Mexican, Mexican country, right? So I never, put those two things together and I was always feeling like a, an immigrant here but when I started looking because I um I always wanted to know I always wanted to know the names of my my seven grandmas after me right and I taught them to my daughter I realized I'm like wait wait a minute I have been here longer than the people who are on the board of this museum right yeah. and I have, um, and the last names, and if you look at the sense, I was looking at the census and the migration pattern. I'm like, this is my family. <laughs> like everybody, there were very few people in the Baja and Alta California that was called, right? And so we were named 
there was always people in my, my household with the same names in my family's household through, if you look at the census, with the same names as the people who were here. And so that's how it started um, becoming very, even more interesting to me. And I started putting together the stories I knew from oral history, from me asking all my tias and the grandma and the cousin of my grandma, and then what was in books and what I was taught here. So that's my journey with becoming a historian. It's a student of history. I think that ties in, um, I, I, this is a question later, but I'm gonna, it's, mm-hmm. it's a good time for it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but for me, unschooling or self-directed education, however we want to term it, has always, it, it started for my kids, but I think it's been the most, I've utilized it the most for me. So it mm-hmm. takes me down different roads. I probably wouldn't have gone down had I not chosen this life, um, this homeschooling mm-hmm. life. Do you feel like jo- going down the historian route? Because I think there's like a the title, like what, I thought it was interesting when you said, I'm not a historian because I don't have the title, but I, ha- I it is who I am. I feel like because it's your work, that's more important than the title. Do you know what I mean? Like that, yes. that's, you're, that you're living it. Um, yes. So I don't know. And I guess when I said that, it's because I'm used to translating myself and making sure I don't misrepresent for the mainstream. But I also, um, and that's a big part of my team, right? Translating myself and the duality. So yes, that was me translating myself, me saying I am a historian. And in the context that we're sitting in, I don't want you thinking that I'm a historian with letters behind her name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. if you don't you'll get kicked out and those mm-hmm. are all the constructs that I think sometimes people don't understand when moving the needle mm-hmm. instead of blowing up the space oh my god I've I mean, blown up so many spaces which is how I know <laughs> to move the needle now <laughs> so that's how you, you live and learn right yeah I think mm-hmm. that's so important uh, my oldest cousin and my uncle um, had the, I, I mean, an amazing idea. My grandfather died of Parkinson's um, mm-hmm. and cancer and they recorded him, but at his almost worst. So it was really shaky mm-hmm. and hard to understand, but there was so much oral history being, and that was the only time in my mom's family side of the family that our history, any part, any tied to it. My grandmother died when I, I was three. Mm-hmm. And so my grandfather, I was, 17 when he passed um and any history was tied to that and only a specific set of people have that recording Mm -hmm. and so any history that we want like it's I have to rely on like 23andMe and you know like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like not not and that's just the written history it's not the oral history and I think that's such Mm -hmm. a tradition that's so important um, and now my grandmother, um, well, I'm not her favorite grandchild on my dad's mm-hmm. side, but she gets confused sometimes and then you can't really ask her things. But then we've lost history now, not just the language or the food or the tradition. Now it's like the stories. I'll never know who my seven grandmothers were. I mean, I guess I can find mm-hmm. it, but not actually who they were, like the stories being mm-hmm. told. So I think the work you're doing is amazing and that your daughter 
has ties to her traditions and food and on both ends because she's mixed um, culturally. Yeah, but on that other end, she doesn't have it as much because there's no contact in, with that side of the family. But if she ever wants to explore it, I will have to figure out how to do that respectfully. But yes. And, but I, it is on both ends, I'm figuring out. Because my spouse's side of the family is Mesoamerican. We are not. We are from the north part of um, the, I guess, what people know as Mexico, right? And so the traditions are very different. And I figured that I'm a guest, I'm starting to figure out that I'm a guest in my husband's culture, even though to the outer world, people would think of both of us as Mexican. Well, of him as Chicano and me as Mexican. And people may look at it and think, oh, well, how could it be so different? But it is, it is. And I figured out more as we incorporate, as we try to bring on traditions and we incorporate our elders and our extended family into that, the traditions are, are more Mesoamerican on his side. So I'm a guest of theirs. Um, I kind of did a thing <laughs> where I, I saw that on his side of the family, the millennial age cousins um, that have younger children started uh, like a few years ago, like seven, eight years before Coco, started inviting us over for a Halloween party. And so we would take our child to the Halloween party. And I started noticing that at the Halloween party, um, there was a lot of Day of the Dead uh, paraphernalia and invocation, right? And so even though I didn't grow up celebrating Day of the Dead because it's not our tradition, we're from the north of Mexico, it doesn't look like it does in Oaxaca or Chiapas, which is what you see reflected in mainstream media, right? My God was like, oh my God, um, this is something that is going to get lost, right? And so I don't know if it was right or it was wrong, but it's what I did. And I said, okay, well, after that first party, I'm like, next week at our house, we're having Day of the Dead. <laughs> we're having Dia de los Muertos. And it was like, oh, like what? It's not the same? Uh, no, right? And so I'm like, oh, shit. What did I just do? <laughs> but it was just like the, the desperation I felt in my gut and heart. Like, oh, my God, we're going to lose this too, right? And so I did more as, as much research as I could. I asked around and I figured out, okay. Day of the Dead is not in November. It's in August, right? And it has, it, the, we're supposed to be harvesting and offering our things on the floor. We're not supposed to have layers. But I didn't bring it to that. I didn't welcome them into that Day of the Dead because the elders, when I issued that invitation, got all excited about the day of the day that they remember, which is with the three layer um, ofrenda and the more Western, and the not the more Westernized, but the more uh, colonized Catholic 
mixed um, blend of Day of the Dead that you see in reflected in movies like Coco, right? So I paused and I go, okay, well, maybe that was as far as I could take it. That's as far as I did. At least I separated it from Halloween. And at least the elders are now excited. And so what happened happened and they came to my house and I guess a harvest of some sort happened because people invested their money in buying things that they wanted in the ofrenda that they were going to set up at my house. And photos were dug up of people that the new children in the family didn't know who they were. And so we started setting them up. And, um, and then the music started triggering memories on the elders. And a conversation started to happen about, oh, well, this was my tia, whatever. And all those stories that I would ask of my elders as a, uh, of, of my elders as a child started coming up naturally for the new children, right? From, our, from the elders that were present. Yeah. And their stories of migration started happening and the children realized how young the, um, the aunts and the grandmas were when they crossed the border and they, were started, they started comparing themselves. So something did happen even though it wasn't the decolonized uh, day of the dead that I ambitioned, something like a step forward I see was done, right? That there was a connection. Um, and then of course it, um, it turned into a party, right? <laughs> and the tequila came out and suddenly we realized as a family that the side of the family that had, was born on this, side of the border could not do the Mexican scream. And you know we scream like right now talking about uh -huh, like Amari right <laughs> they could not um do that. So and, doing it this morning and it was just like I'm like you know how to do that? He's like yeah look and I was uh -huh. like oh I can't yeah I can't. it's like it was like a thing and like a, a, a division that we saw. And if you, when you do it, if you've ever tried to do it, or if you've ever managed to do it correctly, it feels like a release on your chest, right? And it's big, like a relief, like, like, a, like being, um, like having a stomachache and puking, right? Like it's, yeah. the sensation feels really good. So anyway, it um, degenerated in, in us pouring shots for everybody. <laughs> And people doing shots and trying to do the Mexican scream, right? And and then some of the younger people, some of the millennials were able to do it and felt very accomplished and somehow connected to something that the elders could do that they thought they couldn't. And so keeping that tradition has not been perfect. It's really messy. Um, I feel at times it is appropriative, but it is what it, what we have right now and I'm trying to respect it as much as possible although I do somehow lie to myself and justify to myself and, and say well um, my tia so-and-so is from El Salvador and, and she's Mayan and um, our sister-in-law so-and-so is from Guatemala and so her tradition is very similar to 
you know, Oaxacan. And so, and so and so is from here and she's present. So I guess if they're here somehow and they're okay in it somehow it's okay, but it still, it doesn't feel right. So. I told, yeah, I guess maybe that's why I've been <laughs> mm-hmm. on this search for traditions because I feel, mm-hmm. and how I identify as Chicana. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I feel not enough. Like when people, like I know right now there's a big push that all of us, we're not Mexican, we're not Chicana, we're indigenous. And, and, mm-hmm. and, I have such an issue with that only because I feel like that is for people doing the work that I'm not doing. Mm. Those, that is for people with, with, cause I think there is work when you're doing that, when you're doing the deep connection and you're not recreating, like you said, Coco, <laughs> like, like the fact mm-hmm. that you just said, Oh, it, it happens in August, not in November. I was like, Whoa. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause when we started researching, I've bought in books. Nobody says it's in August. Everybody, but they're also probably just picking a certain section of parts of Mexico that it's coming from instead of looking at a whole. Um, I don't know. So it kind of feels like when I'm looking to, do I have the right to participate? And if showing my children traditions and not appropriating the traditions and not... um, Cause I've noticed like they check out, like that's one thing I've noticed on our journey. When we get to mm-hmm. a certain spot, we check out because it's um, the questions start happening. Like, well, why don't we do this? Why didn't you know that? Why our family doesn't do that? And it's like, I don't know. I mean, somewhere along the line, someone broke. Cause um, the stories are from my grandfather was, um, was Indio, you know? Mm-hmm. And my mom's side was high society and classism in Mexico. Um, And so his mother died very young when he was seven. Um, And so she taught him a lot of like plant medicine and, you know, they were, and so he, that's what he would do for us when we were sick. He watched like 15 of us (laughs) after school, like all the, all the grandkids Um, and everybody growing up would just make like the adults would make fun of it. Like it's not real. You know, so then we got the idea that it wasn't real. Um, but then raising my kids and my grandmother too, like when their stomach aches, I do the same thing my grandma did for us. I don't mm-hmm. think I have it all. I don't, ha- I don't remember like when they're empachados. Like I mm-hmm. give them the same thing and I do the same sovada and I, you know, do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then there's parts sometimes I'm like, am I missing a step? There's no one to ask. There's no, my mom didn't learn it. My my aunts didn't learn it. Um, my cousins didn't learn it. I can ask my grandma, but then again, it, I go back to that. Like it, she gets kind of confused and then it's not. So then I Google on the internet or I look at YouTube or I find something and I'm like, I don't know. Are we all just looking? I don't, I don't know. You know, does that yes. Make like, and yeah. And also because I heard a, uh, an indigenous scholar, I'll look it up for you if you want to link yeah. it later. I heard her mention how in the census of, the, I believe, I'm totally blotching this, but I'm just, it's the idea that counts. Um, I think one of the census of the 1800s listed Mexico as 
bilingual, 70% bilingual in indigenous languages. And by the recent census, it's only like a really small one digit percentage of people doing that. And she, her name is Jasnaya Aguilar. And she, the lecture I was watching is she talks about how, she's Miche from Oaxaca. And she talks about how, what makes somebody indigenous in her book and about DNA and what is an, uh, an indigenous nation, right? And how many nations are actually encapsulated into the Mexican state and how doing um, Independence Day, September 16th and uh, November 20th, which is the day of the revolution, how we were taught by school or just uh, television, media, culture to dress like, that's the day where people dress like Mexicans, right? You would see the TV stars dressed like Mexicans. But when you dress yourself up as a Mexican, you're wearing somebody's indigenous um, clothing. You're wearing their hairstyle. And I see sometimes if you look at photos of people dress, dressing as Mexican, you would see that we mix a lot of cultures into this one outfit that makes us feel like we're Mexican, right? And so when schooling started and they had Vasconcelos movement to educate the indigenous population and he went all over the high sierras and tried to bring school to everyone and had to alphabetize people into spanish to make sure that they became um, monolingual in spanish how a lot of that was confusing and lost so i think when you're telling me that you check out or your children check out I completely get why. I mean, do you not, are you ready at every, during every stomach ache or every holiday to confront the grief of this physical and cultural genocide every freaking time? I, in addition to surviving what we're surviving, right? And so I totally get it. That was my point. <laughs> <laughs> I and I see that in the way I'm talking, I'm talking in a very, um, um, I guess, circular. I, I'm feeling very, very Mexican right now that I go and I do analogies and I go in circles and I, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but um, grief, like, I guess I never connected that part the reason why we check out is because there's grief that we don't, aren't um, intellectually tied to, but it's still there. It's ancestrally tied to. It's um, unimaginable grief. And, you know, 600 years, 500 years of unimaginable grief. I don't blame you for checking that out. <laughs> I check out. Oh, in the but, last podcast with with um with Genesis, we saw sometimes people give us a word that we we didn't know how much we needed that word because then it makes everything else make sense. And when you said grief, it was like, oh, like in other spaces, like we just did a, a full moon ceremony with the kids. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing them by myself for a long time. 
I've been trying to get George to do them with me for 19 years. I, and he never has, he wanted to, he just thinks it's my craziness. Cause he was, wasn't raised, he was raised more traditional um, or Westernized. I don't know. So all the things they do clean the kids with an egg or sage the house or get rosemary and, you know, start cleaning that way. He just has always assumed it was just one of my crazy, weird <laughs> things that I do. I, I do what I remember my grandma doing kind of. Um, and then going to classes and trying to find information or workshops. But this last one we did, it really helped Dylan. And he was like, wow, I didn't realize how much I was, how much weight I was carrying until I wasn't carrying it anymore. And it, to me, it's a coping skill. So we have different generational gifts that have been passed down to us, I guess. We all do mm-hmm. something different. And I spent the last 15 years really trying to understand them because my kids needed support in them. And um, I guess I never, when you said grief, I've never tied how that's part of us too. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Why, when we are pulling at the strings of finding tradition, or at least for me, why at some points I'm pulling on those strings. It, I, it, intellectually, I don't compute because I feel like that's someone else's history, that's someone else's experience. Mm-hmm. And I guess I get to be a guest in it. I get to be a guest to kind of give my kids something, but I never feel like it's mine. I don't feel like I have the right to it being mine. And it's a danger because we are so, well, at least you and I, right? I were light-skinned Latinas, what people would consider Latinas or Chicanas. We are um, upper or middle class. And we, if we want to, we could blend in. We, we could sever a lot of parts of ourselves and blend in. Yeah. And because we're so used to doing that, to survive, I'm feeling sometimes that when I try to go back, not in not just looking at the history, but the practice of traditions, that I bring in a danger with me of having spent so much time in the dominant, co- dominant culture, and I have this um, this seed in me that has implanted by the was implanted by the ecosystem right the social ecosystem of um turning into one of those white ladies finding themselves and then next thing you know they're like doing all the appropriative yoga and the looking like um, i guess some black fishing you know many things like that where you would you um a word is coming to me right now from that novela, um, La Usurpadora, mm-hmm. the, the usurper, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I can hear the theme of the novela. <laughs> <laughs> La Usurpadora! <laughs> right? oh and so how we are so close to capitalism, right? And, and social media and how, and to the, um, the female empowerment brand that, comes out of that whole namaste um, yoga lady persona that markets things, right? And I am seeing at times pop that up in social media or on Instagram too of the closeness of the, the closeness and the, the power of the Chicana, I guess you could call them that, um, 
somehow funneling whatever little bit we we have from ancestrally we can find and then funneling into a marketing ploy that looks very similar to that that is not um so the harvesting of those traditions the way we are are thought to plant and harvest on this side of the border is very different from the way you plant and harvest in the other side and so the way we harvest i guess can damage the plant if we don't we're not careful i guess that's those are the feelings that i'm made what i'm in with right now but i haven't processed um i haven't i i'm not settled with that's the I guess that we, that's the stirring of the cup that I'm in right now, the state that I'm in. Yeah, it gives me food for thought because as I am using my social media platforms to share what I'm finding, mm -hmm. the byproduct is what you just said, and that's not the intention. The intention is, I think, But I, I don't my, see it in yours. No, I'm sorry, I mean, I not... Mm -hmm. Like if you look at on Instagram and Chicana Unschool and I'm posting like so like uh, in my attempt to be a homeschooler, posting <laughs> themed dates, um like Friday social justice or whatever, and I'm I want my kids to see themselves or parts mm -hmm. of themselves. Yes. But again, I'm also looking and getting the information from a perspective where, like you said, I'm harvesting the information and I'm pulling out the plant to show people that this is there, but I guess I could be doing more harm than good. Uh, well, and it's going to be messy, right? And we're trying and we're learning. And one of the things that um, I wanted to, as you're bringing that up and you're, you're reflecting on your social media presence, mm -hmm. I wanted to point out that one of the reasons why I, I chose to come in, in here and speak to you is because at least for this particular podcast I haven't seen your other presence um, that closely but you're making the ideas more important than the imagery you're making the the conversation with another person more important than the imagery And so to me, that's kind of badass feminist that you're making it about the group. And as, uh, as messy as it is, as you're trying to learn it, because learning is messy, I see that that's what you're doing. I don't see you like I see in other spaces, especially for yoga and nutrition and all that. I don't see you using the imagery of... Um, the trappings of power, like photos of, of husbands, children, teen bodies, travel, um, all those things that subconsciously give you in this culture could give women power over other women because they're opening a thirst, right? Yeah. I wanted to make space, and again, you know me, so I don't mm -hmm. really follow rules, um, for other people's perspective, because I'm tired of the group think. I'm tired mm -hmm. of you're doing it right, you're doing it wrong. Um, there's only certain types of people at homeschool or unschool or self-directed education, and that 
it all education is only educational things. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I just want people to know, to be able to know that this is an option to, mm-hmm. to not just to homeschool and not just to unschool, but to, to not need an expert to tell you if you're doing it right or wrong, to mm-hmm. not need, but I do see the, where the gap I am seeing is that lack of um, community, like the lack of finding your people mm-hmm. um, and that your people and your kids' people could be very different groups. They're not the same, but I think um, I don't sit long enough sometimes to uh, my impact versus my intention. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Um, Where was I going? I guess the way I'm seeing the decolonizing, which brings me grief, is that it's going to be like with the COVID, right? We can either all get sick at once and whoever dies, dies. Or we can be sick in solidarity and do it little by little, right? Until we find collective solutions. And I'm seeing my decolonizing as uh, the same as the COVID quarantine as, okay, I have to sit in place in the discomfort and in the state I'm in, in solidarity to the people that die, right? And this brings me back to learning um, the principles of respectful harvest. I, I, I see a lot of decolonizing work, work as harvesting, but I just brought it up earlier, right? And um, I remember learning the principles of respectful harvest from a, an elder. Um, my childhood was kind of interesting. I um, was unschooled from like sixth grade to ninth grade because of life circumstances, right? At the beginning of my childhood, um, even though my mom was in her 40s, she was a yoga lady, a Mexican (laughs) white lady trying to find herself. Um, And so she did a lot of astrology astrology and yoga. She breastfed me until I was four. She raised me vegan. Um, So I already went through that, right? And she, she said, even with all that, she sent me to Catholic school, like a really expensive, exclusive, white populated Catholic school. And I would spend my weekdays there and my weekends at a yoga ashram. But this yoga ashram was in Huicholan in Jalisco. So a lot of the elders that owned the land lived in this ashram. And I remember one time I was having a hard time at school and she just left me there for two weeks with the elders. <laughs> and when I was, and this memory just came back to me because I was thinking, how, where did I learn that, that respectful harvest principle, right? And it was from, it, she's Abuela Margarita right now, who is like very famous in social media. But back then she was my mom's commander because they're in the same age group. And she just left me with, the person who is known as Abuela Margarita right now, right? And she, she, I remember she kind of unschooled what people would think of unschooling for those two weeks. And she um, took me and I, there were other children there. 
from the Wichol community. She took me to the river, then we were doing plant medicine, we were communally cooking. It felt so good to be there. And she, that's where I learned the purpose, the, the principles of respectful harvesting, which I remember very precisely. She's like, we're going to see if this plant has stuff to give us, right? We offered it, we offered it stuff already when we planted it or when it was here, when we noticed it was here. But we're going to see if this plant has something to give us. And that's how she would approach it. And she brought us up and she said, um, well, this one doesn't have enough to give right now. So we're just going to, um, she said, we're just going to take it. I guess the English translation would be, we're going to take it for the team and not take anything from it. Or this one has enough, but we're not going to take all of it. And so that's how whenever I see myself trying to connect with tradition or ancestral knowledge, I'm seeing that, like, who am I taking it from? And do they have enough to give me? And how do I offer solidarity to the culture that's gifting me something? Right? And so that's what I call my respectful harvest. But because I'm so uneducated on, on the principles of it, I mess up a lot. I, I, I don't have manners. They would... It's, I, to me, I guess it would be the Western equivalent of somebody going over to, I don't know, Buckingham Palace and trying to understand all the protocol. I don't understand all the protocol. So I mess up big time. And I am forever grateful for the patience that people have with me whenever I'm trying to do this. And I also recognize that it's really heavy on people and that sometimes I just need to realize what's not for me right now is not for me because they don't have enough to give me. Three years from now, I will learn something that makes this whole conversation or statement obsolete, but that's the point of knowledge that I'm in right now. I think that part is so huge mm -hmm. um, for me, at least this last couple of months of knowing that like, because I'm a bull in a china shop, I, I don't mean to bulldoze, but I do it time after time and I do it in all spaces and all my personal life. Um, and I get so passionate about things until I'm not. And everything I believe can, I, I'm okay with throwing out everything I believed out the window. It, what mm -hmm. it served me well, it served me or it taught me something mm -hmm. or I don't know, whatever it did what it was supposed to. And my husband has such a hard time understanding that sometimes because he's like but you mm -hmm. did all these things and you spent all this money and you did all this stuff to like do this and now you're over it or now you fought with all these people you disrupted all these like especially when it comes to his family and now you don't believe what you believe I'm like no I didn't that wasn't my intention to cause the ruckus that <laughs> I did I caused um, <laughs> but that was by part, part of it, some of it. And, um, but I'm okay with letting go. Cause I think sometimes holding on does to be right or to save face or to insert whatever it is, cause more, more harm than good. You know, I'm okay. Oh, yeah. Cause mm -hmm. I want my kids to know that like part of gr learning and growing is that you'd fall really deep into things that you are so passionate until something shows you or you, you see that you're causing harm or yeah and that yeah but at what point is enough is enough right and at what point should you just 
stay put. <laughs> and I'm at a point right now where I'm thinking, okay, maybe I don't know enough and I should stay put. Yeah, I think for I'm a gonna... bit. I, well, I, I'm exhausted. <laughs> and I think as I've seen the harm I've caused, like I don't want to hurt people. And part mm-hmm. of me hurting people is not not looking around before I blow things up. Mm-hmm. Not seeing who else <laughs> is going to get hurt. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of, but it, it, I do fight that um, that I'm taking the safe way that I am not living in my own truth because it's just easier for everybody around me. Like I'm tired of hurting people. So I guess I should just do what I feel like um, growing up. Everybody wanted me to, can you just stop? Can you just not be you for like five minutes so that everybody else can just be fine? Well, maybe it's just cycles. Yeah. Kind of like this quarantine is a cycle. We're all standing in place. until we figure out what's what. (laughs) Trying to reconnect. I talk to my, my grandfather and my grandmother a lot. And, um, and I, I just sit quietly and I wait for an answer. And whatever that is that pops into my head, whether it's my own subconscious or whatever, I believe it's them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things where I'm like reconnecting because I've tried to grow a garden like six times and I kill everything. George says when I go to a plant store, all the plants are like, please don't pick me. Like they're all <laughs> crying. Like he mimics them as I'm picking them because he's like, you're just going to kill it. Um, and only one thing's managed. I've even killed mint. Um, and I, as I'm talking to my grandfather, I'm doing things. I have no understanding of why I'm doing them. And I'm like, oh, that plant's growing, you know, or that's, that's growing. But I really think it's because I'm talking to him and he's guiding me in whatever way that I'm doing, whatever I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I tell myself, like, I go back into like, oh, that's crazy. I'm just talking to myself. And I stop doing those things. The plant dies. And I think that listening or that knowing without validation of an outside force and it's just yourself is so part of me trying to find tradition again. Yes, it is. And I I think it's, um, oh, it was just in my, in my brain and then it went away. Hold on. Let me call it. Oh, and it's also, I guess, how indigenous you are, not only is who you claim but who claims you right and it's again it's like i'm gonna be crass here it's like fucking (laughs) you can say oh that person is my uh, is my partner we are spouses i belong to him but if he's not reciprocally receive receive reciprocating Yes, thank you. Uh-huh. ESL here. <laughs> he's not reciprocating sexually. He's not your partner. You're having a relationship with yourself, a fantasy relationship with yourself. And I'm thinking that maybe being indigenous is the same way. If you're saying, I am this, I, I, if I started saying, I am Cochini, or I'm Kumeyaay, because my 23andMe or my ancestry.com says I am and I can all the paperwork says I am but the Kochimi and the Komei don't claim me then it's me just having a masturbatory relationship with my idea of indigenous right it's like porn yeah you're like you're indigenous by yourself and that you can't do that and so (laughs) being away from your group 
it's like a long distance relationship that you of a man or a woman or someone that you're in love with on Instagram, but really you have no physical or emotional or daily connection to. So that's how I'm viewing it right now. Like how a respectful harvesting is a lot like fucking. You know, I like that. <laughs> the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and like, uh, and this is like one thing when I, I see you doing it and I, I do it a lot too, when I'm, mm-hmm. I'm talking and I'm in another conversation in my head or another conversation that I'm about to jump into. And it's just like mm-hmm. we said, it's circular. It's how I'm, I'll remember. Um, so my sister was dating this person and we, and it's the first time he had been all around all of us and we were at a restaurant and we were eating dinner and he's sitting there just staring at us as cross conversation he's from another culture so mm-hmm. he's sitting around and we're all talking to each other cross diagonally to each other we're all being loud we're all and we're all holding this conversation at the same time even though they're all different mm-hmm. and he's just looking at us like what like how do you guys even keep track of who's saying what and how are you jumping in because that's not the way his culture works and um but it's I like we- mexican traffic <laughs> have you ever is, have you ever been on mexican traffic yes where it's just we move like ants if there is an accident you just move and you don't traffic doesn't stop you just move around and like ants and so I guess we know our way we are an entity and we know our way but I'm sorry I interrupted you oh no but I think that's what you're saying kind of like Mm -hmm. I don't know I just wanted to bring it up because I think sometimes it's Mm -hmm. it and maybe even audio it doesn't make sense and like that but I miss communicating Mm -hmm. with people like that because Mm -hmm when I do it and I'm in spaces where people don't communicate like that. And especially in the dominant culture, they just look at me like I'm weird because they want to, mm-hmm. they want a beginning, middle end. And sometimes it's mm-hmm. a middle beginning and then an end or an end beginning. I don't know. It just kind of circles its way around wherever something's leading me to. Um, and I remember being a kid watching my aunts or whatever, being in the kitchen and like their conversation was very much like that, you know, mm-hmm. but, it wasn't if certain people were there. If the white part of the family came over, it became very rigid. It became very mm-hmm. accommodating and um, uncomfortable. And this weird comfortableness that everybody, if it was the comfortableness of other people, but in that you had to be uncomfortable. I mean, like there's this properness. There you go. This properness of being, um, I mean, my parents sent me to like a, what do you call those? Manor schools? I went to manor school. Mm-hmm. Finishing school. Uh-huh. Yeah, it didn't help for shit. Mm-hmm. Like, I frustrated <laughs> teachers. I ended up causing more of a ruckus. And I still don't know what fork to eat with or what, you know, the manners. So, yeah, I hear you when you say you're, um, you're, you don't have the manners sometimes in other spaces because I feel like in not wanting to do conform and not wanting to make other people feel comfortable, I that not having manners is disrespectful Mm -hmm. um to other in other places like when we go to family meet like to uh family get-togethers i there's certain people i don't say hi to i grew up doing you don't do that you say hi to everybody Mm -hmm. in the room you kiss everybody on the cheek Mm -hmm. i don't do that i don't do that and it it was like it one of my aunts chased me out of a house like yelling at me for not doing that one time in the middle because she was just she had had it with me you know Mm -hmm. Um, and so like when I tell my kids like, okay, I feel like it's that, um, unschooling, like do whatever you want and you're not, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, 
Mm-hmm. There's no um, consequences. You're just, my kids just being themselves. Sorry, you can't handle it. I kind of feel like I'm doing that when I don't do stick with certain tradi- normal customs, maybe not traditions, but customs. I see what you, I see what you mean. And I can, I can see, and I can see how racial and socioeconomic dynamics can make that very harmful. Right? Yes. Like if you, yeah. So I could, and how I participated in that sometimes too. So. Turns me, and now every time I do that, I'm going to think of like that yoga lady. Hmm. <laughs> oh I mean, my gosh. Yeah, but it's the same, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of, I, I guess I never thought that. I think that's what I like about this podcast is that a lot of the times I'm like, oh, I don't see it that way until like, I'm like, oh, I see it that way. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I, I don't know. So it gives me perspective. As always, um, feedback is always welcomed. And these conversations are fluid. You know, you're getting a bite-sized piece of a two and a half hour conversation. Um, And so this one was really hard for me to edit. And I'm so grateful you guys are in this space and these conversations are happening as we expand the perspectives of who homeschools and what it looks like. See you next episode. Thanks for kicking it with us today. Want to talk about homeschooling and unschooling in between episodes? Follow us on Instagram at homeschoolinghomegirls. Enjoy the process of raising empowered people. You got this.